U.S. bond yields are volatile, to say the least, with the front end of the yield curve rising, the middle all over the place, and inversions happening. Whilst the U.K., their yields are down because the market isn't expecting the Bank of England to push as hard as the U.S. In fact, they're going to be doing less than expected. We'll look at why that's happening. Plus, what the Bank of Japan has done to make the yen fall further, and the Aussie retail numbers today, and a pre-election budget as well. It's Tuesday, the 29th of March, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, we have a 0.4% rise in the US dollar on the DXY. The Aussie dollar has fallen by 0.3%. The Canadian dollar has lost almost half a percent. The yen is down 1.5%. The pound down 0.7%. So who is up apart from the US dollar? Well, the euro was up for a tiny bit. Uh, although it's down again now. So it is largely a rush to the US dollar that we're seeing. Much less activity in bonds. Well, I say that. I mean, yields for 10-year treasuries in the United States are down two basis points. Although that's after a 14 basis point trading range, so it's been volatile. Two years are up six basis points to 2.34%. A big move, too, in 10-year gilt yields in the UK, down eight basis points to 1.61%. We'll look at what's happening there today. Stocks are mixed at close. The S&P 500 is up 0.7%. The Nasdaq up 1.3%. The Dow climbing a quarter percent. It's the small caps that aren't doing too well. The Russell 2000 is unchanged, but it was down 1% at uh, one point. Uh, Whereas in Europe, the DAX is up 0.8%. We've got a small fall in the FTSE 100. And oil, well, down quite a bit, about 9.5% down for Brent and WTI. Brent is below 109, WTI at 103 this morning. So some of the moves today, relatively straightforward to explain. Here's NAB's Rodrigo Cotrill in Sydney. Uh, Well, some of it's (laughs) a little bit more complicated than that. Maybe we should start on the complicated stuff and look at the bond yields, Rodrigo, because, I mean, they are obviously rising at the front end. Uh, that's flattening the curve. There's uh, the, uh, there's an inversion between five and ten years, eight basis points, quite a bit in uh, in yields. Uh, uh, there's one spell overnight between five and 30, when it, which were inverted. So, I mean, that seems a long way out, though, 30 years, doesn't it? But what is it? what is this telling us? Are the markets telling us now, and particularly if we see more of this, that a recession is looking more possible in the United States? Um, yeah, morning, Phil. So I, I suppose in terms of the inversion, um, really the, the one that gives the, that, that good, reliable guidance in terms of recession is the 210 and, and technically it's actually the, the three-month, 10-year uh, curve. Um, but typically what happens is that, you know, the, the longer dated curves start flattening first and they tend to be a bit of a leading indicator warning that the flattening on the, on the main curve is coming. Um, so, so yes, it's important in terms of, of its guidance. Uh, it's not as reliable as the, the three months, 10 year curve, which is really the one that tells you everything in, in that regard. Uh, but certainly the direction of travel is, 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 is looking that way. Um, and importantly, um, you know, that we've seen a little bit of volatility in the 10 year part of the U.S. Treasury curve, quite volatile ranges, uh, overnight. Uh, but little change in the end. Uh, we saw it, you know, trade, trade all the way to 250 and then come down, come down to 245. Uh, but importantly, uh, the theme really is in the front end. Um, and since the, the 1st of March, I was just looking at the chart, uh, the two-year rate has continued to climb uh, and now is 100 basis point higher. So at 234 compared to 133 um, at the beginning of the month. So um, that repricing that is occurring is very much a, a, a repricing of, of the Fed expectations and, and the message the Fed was given. So if you, you know, compared to other central banks, particularly compared to the RBA, for instance, the, the market keeps on saying the RBA needs to go, the RBA needs to raise the cash rate a lot higher than what, what it's saying. Um, 
which at the moment is saying it is possible that we might hike and so on, whereas the, the, the market is convinced that it needs to go hard and it needs to go very much um, a, a lot higher. Whereas in, in, in the US, it's been the other way around. The Fed has been telling us that they want to lift the cash rate. The Fed has been telling us that they have a much higher terminal rate expectation compared to the market. But now because of the inflation dynamics and, and, and because of the hawkish talk uh, that has shifted in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the market now following and getting to where the Fed wants it to be. And, and in fact, when you look at pricing for next year, uh, it's now surpassed expectations relative to the Fed. So very aggressive pricing. Um, which, is kind of, which is sort of breaking Which da- is leading to that flattening of the yeah, curve. Yeah, and breaking the, the long-term trend, isn't it? I mean, we've been seeing, uh, you know, five and ten years, the, the yields have been sliding really since, you know, within a range since the early 80s. And they're about to break out of that. We had a five-year auction in the U.S. this morning. It's gone from 1.88% last time to 2.54% this time, which is uh, not far from 2.46%, which is where the 10 years are at. So it is getting very flat, isn't it? It is. And and to, to your point, there's a few very, very long-term term lines, and some people have been drawing lines uh, since, uh, uh, you know, uh, 10 years. Or But if you go to the very, very, very long trend line, we're getting very close to those levels that that downtrend that we've seen in in ten year treasury yields could be you know broken and and finally you know we'll be looking at are moving higher so so from a technical perspective mm. that the move up in yields is also important because um many of those sort of the tech analysts if you like are, are looking at it and saying well that downtrend that has been in place for so long uh, is now actually certainly looking challenged. So uh, we mentioned uh, in the introduction this uh, big move in gilts as well. Uh, th- that comes from uh, Andrew Bailey, the uh, governor from the Bank of England, certainly moderating his take on what the Bank of England's going to do. Less aggressive because, as we've been saying for a long time on this podcast, and Gavin uh, was was saying very recently that they're going to have to moderate their, uh, their approach. You know, there is a consumer price squeeze happening uh, and affordability squeeze happening and uh, pushing up interest rates isn't going to help that situation yes and and if anything is, is a very i mean first of all credit to gav because gav has always been telling us that the market is too aggressive mm. you know the, the the economic outlook for the uk is challenging we have you know tax hikes we also have uh, you know the buy today to the obviously that is happening everywhere in terms of real income but the uncertainty is coming from energy in addition to still uncertainties around the brexit europe negotiations or relationship so there's a lot of challenges for for the uk economy uh we do not justify that sort of aggressive pricing that, that the market had put in yeah. and and finally now we've seen governor bailey come out highlighting that you know we need to be careful given the high level of uncertainty uh, which is very, very interesting because at the moment the, in the U.S., for instance, all the focus is on, on the level of inflation and how aggressive you need to be to fight that high level of inflation. Whereas in the U.K., arguably inflation is just as high. But because of these uncertainties, um, the, 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 the Bank of England is now saying we're lifting the cash rate, but we've got to be cautious. We've got to see how we go. And again, highlighting that, you know, the, the high level of inflation, it's itself hitting the real economy and it's in itself going to be a factor of demand destruction. Mm. So therefore, lifting the cash rate in order to reduce demand in that environment might be counterproductive. Yeah, exactly the wrong thing to do. Meanwhile, uh, it seems inflation is not a problem in Japan. Uh, but uh, and so the, naturally, the Bank of Japan doesn't want to hike rates. But we have been seeing uh, yields rising uh, and the yen falling in value. Uh, so uh, look at ten-year bonds up over a quarter percent now uh, in Japan, uh, eleven basis points higher than they were earlier in the month. So the Bank of Japan has been stepping in to try and contra- 
contain that growth. So is that working? And uh, certainly the yen is falling down as a result of that. Is, is that what they intended to happen? Well, I suppose in terms of the intended consequences from policy, um, you would say, well, it is working because the Bank of the Bank of Japan has always, you know, through yield curve control, uh, wanted to have a, a weaker yen. And, and what it did yesterday is confirm that its yield curve control policy is here to stay, notwithstanding this global rise in core global yields around the world and so on. Uh, that they still remain committed to that. So if, if you're going to restrain the ability of your domestic yields to rise while everybody else is rising, then the intended consequence of that will be that you will end up with a weaker currency. Right. And, and I suppose the big signal that we've had from it is that at, at least until today or yesterday, they remain committed or very much committed to that policy. So that's given um, dollar-yen an extra leg to, to move higher. And, and if you look on the chart, it's, it's literally a vertical vertical rise, um, which has challenged quite a, quite a few of those long-term technical lines, similarly to, to what we've seen in 10-year treasury yields. So, so it's given an encouragement to the market to, to push dollar-yen even higher. Um, now, the question here is, is what, what is really the plan? And, and many, or there's one school of thought is that they want to finally see high level of inflation in, in Japan so that the mindset of Japanese uh, companies and individuals shifts finally and, and, and then you start seeing an increase in wages. Mm. That, that's the one school of thought. The other, of course, is that uh, at the moment the BOJ is, is not sure what's going on. Uh, they're, they're keeping the policy as it is, but uh, they're certainly very worried about what to do to effectively reduce the volatility in the currency. Um, mm. and, um, um, and there's a lot of seemingly internal debates about what to do with that, uh, in, and in particular shifting the yield curve control down to the five-year rate Mm. Uh, from from the ten year, uh, in order to still have some control over over rates. Right, uh, the fall in oil today. That is the one thing that is relatively easy to explain. I'm I'm sure this is uh, largely because of this lockdown that we've been seeing in China and the concern that there's going to be many more of them as they pursue this idea of uh, zero COVID. But incidentally, I mean COVID is still around. We had the uh, Moderna CEO today saying there's a one in five chance there's going to be a more danger future variant of COVID. Uh, but there again, this is a man who sells vaccines, so that's handy. Isn't it? Uh, but, but back to China. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, this is a concern. There's going to be a lot less demand for oil because they're producing a lot less because they're all stuck at home. Yes. So I suppose the first bit is is what has happened to oil prices. They've come down significantly. Um, that's primarily been because of that perception that, um, you know, Japanese demand for oil and activity in general will be declining because of the... Of Chinese the, demand. Sorry, Chinese demand will be declining because of reduction in activity as everybody's locked down. Um, there was also reports that the, the U.S. is considering releasing another batch of, of the oil reserves as well. Um, mm. It's unclear yet, uh, you know, the magnitude of the number, because, of course, that would be important. Uh, but that certainly also played into the weakness that we've seen in oil prices. And, and then the other side of the coin, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, that it seems likely that that's not going to reach a rapid conclusion because they were that basically uh, Iran wants the Islamic Revolutionary Guard dropped uh, from the U.S. list of, of terrorist organizations on the basis that, you know, the U.S. has got them listed because they're a bit jihadist. Uh, so that could be a bit of a deal breaker, couldn't it? But that's not reflected in the <laughs> in the oil price today. I guess it's just a slow burner, that one in the background. It is, it is a slow. I mean, the only thing we can say is that they're seemingly still talking. So 
So they haven't yet given up on it, but at the moment it doesn't look like something uh, that is going to happen. Yeah. Now, also still talking, they are talking between Russia and Ukraine. The peace talks uh, continue uh, in earnest tonight. President Zelensky, uh, well, he seems to be prepared to give a bit more ground if it's going to avoid World War Three. He might be happy to lose a bit of the country and not be in NATO. Uh, but you wonder about that because there's always the risk that Russia is going to have another go in a few months' time. So I wonder how how, how real that is, uh, you know, particularly as Ukraine is regaining some territory. So Erpin, which is a town that uh, Russia took control of on the outskirts of Kyiv, uh, supposedly the Ukrainians have taken back some of that. So, you know, if they're not, if Russia's not doing terribly well, What's the incentive to, uh, to to give away a lot of territory in a peace agreement? It is, and and it, it still looks very messy. You know, there even reports that some of the ne- negotiators coming from Russia were poisoned, including Roman Abramovich, yeah. because of you know that the hard line is coming from Russia. So it's seemingly there's there's a lot of Russians that are still not keen to actually you know enter into these discussions and. And even when you look at sort of the demands from Russia, sure, de- demilitarization makes sense. Denazification is, is hard to comprehend in terms of what do they want. The, the, you know, Zelensky is Jewish. <laughs> so what, what, are the, what do their demands mean? And, and, and also, you know, Putin in, in theory also want, doesn't want Zelensky in, in power as well. So yeah. there's a lot of demands that are included in there. And um, it's difficult yet um, to see whether they were able to, to reconcile all of them. Right. Now, the uh, U.S. trade deficit narrowed a little, thanks, I think, to a, a fall in, in car imports, uh, which might be as much to do with supply as it is demand. So I'm not sure what that means for GDP for the U.S. We won't talk about it today, but I mean, basically, it's expected to flatline, isn't it? Uh, more concern locally is, of course, we get retail numbers for Australia today and then the budget. So, uh, I mean, we are expecting strong retail numbers because obviously we're away from the war, away from the worst of Omicron. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Australia's sitting pretty, relatively speaking. It is. Uh, and if we're right, that the numbers will help to, to reinforce that perception, which has obviously been reflected in, in the solid performance of, of the Aussie dollar as well. So mm. uh, I suppose in that sense, it will be a confirmation that all is well in the Australian economy, uh, and particularly the all is well with the consumer, which is also enjoying uh, very low levels of unemployment. So it's a, it's a good story that it, it will again be supported by the data. Um, now, in terms of the budget, quite a lot of stuff has already been sort of released by the media. Um, we know that there will be um, a, a sort of some support to, to low and inc- middle income earners, uh, pensioners, welfare recipients as well. We'll get a one uh, one of cost living. Um, and then also the excise uh, in the fuel tax, uh, which will last for six months. What we don't know yet exactly is the, the number. How big would it be? Uh, but certainly uh, policies ahead of the election look to be very much geared towards helping uh, the cost of living, which will be, um, you know, a, a good thing given the rise in inflation. A good old fashioned uh, pre-election budget we're going to get today, aren't we? Uh, look, uh, consumer confidence. Uh, How is that faring around the world? Well, we, France releases its survey results later today. The US Conference Board early tomorrow. All of that obviously is very important to look at. And US jolts numbers as well. The job openings is also out early tomorrow. But we know there's lots more jobs than there are people or maybe the wrong jobs or the wrong people. They're not fitting each other anyway. (laughs) Uh, So all of that coming up. But uh, that's it for now. Good to talk, Rodrigo. Catch you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. And that is Tuesday morning's morning call from NAV. I'm Phil Dobby back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening.